You're listening to Little Green Cheese, episode 99. Well, welcome back, Curd Nerds. I'm Gavin Webber, and this podcast is where you can learn about cheesemaking at home. So, the theme for this week is counterfeit cheese, or trying to prevent counterfeit cheese. Now, there's a big news story going around at the moment that the Grana Padano, no, sorry, wrong cheese, the Parmigiano-Reggiano Consorzio have taken to putting... Uh, microchips into the big 86 pound wheels of parmesan this is to prevent counterfeits and apparently counterfeiting is all the rage in italy uh, as far as the authentic big massive wheels of parmesan go so let me just uh, play a news clip and i will react to the the clip so this is from the canadian broad national broadcaster uh before we do here's the news theme so as i mentioned the parmigiano reggiano uh, consorzio have started to microchip each individual wheel of uh, parmigiano reggiano uh, this is to prevent counterfeiting which is rife so just let me show you a clip and, and uh, we'll have a bit of a discussion about it shall we the central market in modena northern italy an area of proud producers of parmigiano reggiano mouth-watering real parmesan cheese made with milk from special breeds of local cows. This Parmesan producer makes more than 100 wheels of the cheese a day, more than 40,000 a year, each and every one of them following centuries-old rules. From the hand-testing of curds, to draining the fresh cheese in linen, to months of careful aging, Traditional methods that make the Parmesan you sprinkle on your pasta so delicious and costly. And why producers put these identifying markers on the cheese to try to counter a massive market of low-quality rip-offs. And now Parmesan producers are taking their fight against fake to a whole new level by inserting in the rind of the cheese a microtransponder. The grain of salt-sized chip is being tested to track everything in real time. You are sure that the wheel is produced and where it's produced, when and where it's produced, because the, the, in the server we have all the information. Parmesan producers say the chip is proving to be effective and safe, even edible. But they're still fighting a bigger battle over what gets called Parmesan. Today, you can use uh, uh, the name Parmesan for cheeses produced in uh, Canada or in the USA. A name they want applied only to Parmigiano Reggiano, made here in northern Italy. Megan Williams, CBC News, Modena. Well, thank you, Megan, for that news report. Wonderful. 
So my thoughts on that, yes, counterfeiting cheeses, that's the livelihood of all of those uh, Parmesan industries in, in Italy. Um, 100% support that. And yeah, if they can reduce counterfeiting, then absolutely fantastic. That's not to say that home cheese makers like us can't reproduce something similar to Parmesan. Certainly we wouldn't uh, go uh, any further than consuming it in our own homes, would we? But you certainly wouldn't sell it, that's for sure. So I don't think they've got... Well, do they have something to worry about? Obviously they are because they're losing money somehow. But, you know, as a home cheesemaker myself, then I certainly do enjoy making that style of cheese and aging it for a very long time. Obviously, I'm not even going to try to copy their recipe because the actual size of the cheese is what makes the, the flavour of Parmesan so unique. So counterfeiting is a big issue, which I fully understand, and I think they need to go to those measures to protect their industry. However, as far as naming laws and stuff like that goes, then really the authentic names only come out of of Italy or Europe and you know look at Australia we don't have any PDO or AOC cheeses or anything like that and really the uh, artisan producers here don't keep the same name as the recipe they're trying to imitate so for instance uh, anything made here uh, that even resembles parmesan is is called parmesan not parmigiano reggiano which is the dpo or pdo name uh, sometimes they just call it italian grating cheese or something like that so chips good making our own copies but not selling them as far as i'm concerned okay because you're not going against the trademark that is protected by the consorzio so uh, that is my thoughts on counterfeiting cheese and a funny story which leads me to a segue. Back in 2021, I don't know if anybody knows, but I was served a cease and desist by the Grana Padano Consorzio uh, for my Grana Padano video. Now, one mistake that I made, and I, and I did fix the video and reissue it, I actually had a picture of a Grana Padano uh, cheese in uh, the shot. Uh, in the video in the intro part but I specifically stated this is not a counterfeit or a copy or blah 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 and anyway I still got served but it was about oh two years after the video had been released it was just crazy out of the blue I got this letter from a lawyer uh, who represented the consortium and said that I was to take the video down that I was uh, promoting counterfeiting of Grana Padano uh, and so on and so forth. So what I'll do, I made some videos about it, uh, about Big Cheese. And uh, what I'll do, I'll put the links in the podcast and video description for you to have a bit of a chuckle at. Because it's certainly, uh, well, for, for want of a better word, it actually promoted the channel... The, my normal cheese making channel Gavin Webber a lot more than uh, what I had been at the time so it was a bit of a boost uh, and I did what they asked 
legally they really didn't have much of grounds to stand on because I wasn't actually selling the cheese. And the funny thing is, after I released the first video saying I've been uh, issued a cease and desist, uh, the internet went crazy, took hold, and uh, a lot of people on Reddit uh, and uh, all over the place decided to email the Grana Padana Casorzio, and they uh, started backtracking pretty quick. And by, what I mean by that is I, I actually received an email letter from the head of the consortium, not the legal team, but the head of the consortium apologising to me. By that time, I had uh, slightly changed the video and was about to reissue it. Uh, but they apologised and offered me a tour around their factories, stated that I wasn't promoting counterfeiting and so on and so forth. And it was that backlash from the Kurdnerd community that really helped get them to send me an apology so that was good i'll put the link to that video uh in the uh in the show notes as well so <laughs> it was very interesting uh you know i was accused of counterfeiting and clearly i wasn't anyway uh let's move on shall we we've got our normal four questions so let's get into that uh, I've got some interesting ones this week. Uh, so let's see who the first question is. Hi, Gavin. My name is Greg up here in New York in the United States. Uh, first of all, thank you for all the information you put out there. It's fantastic. I've made several of your cheeses. And I have a question if, if you have a moment. You know, I, um, I like to wax them. But then we get to the point where we try the cheese like cut it in half usually and start with one half of the the cheese round. But what do you do with the second half? If you don't eat it within a week and it starts to mold in the refrigerator, can you cover it? Can you re-wax it? Um, I'm assuming that you can't continue to age it after you've cut it. Um, is there any advice you have to, if we don't eat a whole round of cheese in two days, how to keep it from going bad or starting to mold in the refrigerator after that again thank you so much well thanks greg appreciate the uh, question and the there's a couple of answers yeah you don't have to leave it exposed uh, back in the old days they used to wrap it in wax paper and that would help it uh, prevent from drying out however what you can do these days is yeah you can dip if, if you cut a wheel and it's still got the other half of the wax intact then you can simply re-wax the other exposed half and you can keep it in the kitchen fridge and that won't get any mold in it and it'll keep for a long, long time. Alternatively, what you could do, and I've been using a lot of vacuum packing these days, you know, just using a food saver and I just uh, vacuum pack the off cut. Uh, if I want to mature it longer, I can. You can put it back in the cheese cave and it will mature longer at the cheese cave temperature of 13 degrees Celsius or 55 Fahrenheit. And then... If I don't want to age it any further, for whatever reason, then I'll just keep it in the kitchen fridge uh, and it'll last for, you know, I've got pieces in there that are over two years old uh, and they're fine. So the cheese at the lower temperature of four degrees Celsius or 39 Fahrenheit, it doesn't mature very fast at all, very, very slow. Uh, whereas when you put it back in the cheese cave, yeah, it'll continue to age. And as long as the rind is protected from molds and yeasts, then you won't have any trouble during maturation. 
So like I said, just quick summary. You can vacuum pack the cheese for storage or you can just re-wax that exposed part and keep it in the kitchen fridge. So thanks for your question. Uh, the next question. Hi, Gavin. This is Ruth from San Francisco calling you again. I love this podcast channel. I love being able to interact with you without scheduling problems and I can get an answer from you. And talking to you directly makes me happy. So thank you for offering this. Um, here I have a couple of questions about my Cam Blue and my Bloomy Goat Blue. I want to try and do those again. Both of them I've made. Both of them, I really enjoyed making them. And the flavor came out really good. They never got soft. And I want to do another round of both of them. And I just want some kind of guidelines about how I can get the consistency to come out right. Because the flavors are delicious. Everyone loves them. But they're not soft and um, a little bit gooey like soft, stinky cheeses are supposed to be. So that's what I'd like some help with. Thank you. And this morning, when I was going through my caves, I found a 14-month-old Pecorino Romano. I'm so excited we're going to have it tonight. Okay, hope you and Kim are doing well, and thank you. Bye. Well, thanks, Ruth. As always, it's a pleasure receiving your uh, voicemails. Now, congratulations on your Pecorino Romano. I bet it tasted amazing. Uh, but to answer your question, uh, there's a couple of ways where you can make a blue or a cam blue or cambenzola uh, a bit runny in the middle. So let's start with a cambenzola first, which is a cross between a camembert and a gorgonzola. Uh, to make the paste runny and not overly and not quickly so the first 10 days while we're waiting for the white mold to grow on the outside you absolutely have to have it sitting at between 10 and 13 degrees celsius or about 50 to 55 fahrenheit and then once it gets its white bloom on the outside and you fingers crossed have got some blue on the inside if you follow the recipe properly then uh, what will happen is if you wrap it in micro perforated wrap and then keep it in the kitchen fridge at four degrees celsius it'll still break down those fats and proteins uh, but it'll do it a lot slower and the longer you leave it in there and i keep it in a uh, an air tight container with uh with a piece of uh, cloth uh, cheesecloth in the bottom that's moist just to keep the humidity up even though it's in the micro perforated wrap uh, and that keep that in the kitchen fridge and you'll find after about six weeks then you'll get a, a gooier sort of cheese so it's time and temperature uh, for those sorts of cheeses then uh, certainly have a longer aging period and Another way to do it is to use raw milk. Raw milk will definitely make the cheese a lot gooier because it's got extra lactic bacteria in it uh, than would normally say um, pasteurized and homogenized milk or unhomogenized milk. Uh, you'll clearly get a difference. I remember when I used raw milk from Made by Cow and made a camembert, uh, the gooiness was just extraordinary 
uh, because of the extra lactic bacteria. So there's a couple of hints there. Time, the temperature uh, in the initial phase should be warmer than what the latter phase is after it's wrapped. And instead of the normal, say, two weeks, uh, if you elongate that out to about six weeks in the kitchen fridge, you'll find that the proteins and fats break down a lot more readily and you'll get a gooier paste. So hopefully that answers your question. Thanks very much, Ruth. Appreciate it. And the next question is from... Hi, Gavin. It's uh, Jim again from London. Um, just another quick question for you. Uh, I remember as a child back in the UK, we used to have a cheese called Red Windsor, which was a cheddar-like cheese, but I think it had been soaked, not soaked, but impregnated with uh, a port or brandy, uh, possibly a red wine. Uh, I wonder if you've got a recipe for it. That'd be great to see. Um, it's something we don't see very often anymore. Yeah, it'd be uh, be nice to have a recipe. I'd like to have a try of it. I think it may be similar to your drunken cow um, recipe, but I think it was more like a port and brandy kind of affair. So um, maybe you could uh, research it a little for me. And um, yeah, love to hear from you. And yet again, fantastic vids, uh, great website. Keep it up and uh, hope to hear from you soon. Bye. Well, thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. And uh, yes, yeah, since you left your voicemail, I have gone on to make a Red Windsor. Now, it wasn't entirely successful because I had actually cut the curd size way too small and didn't consolidate the curd into uh, finger sizes and then soaked it in the port. Uh, however, I will just, let's quickly search for that. And if you go to the cheese channel and just go to the search function and search for uh, Red uh, Windsor, uh, then you get a couple of videos that come up. So there is the Red Windsor style, how I made it and uh, all that. And I'll put that in the description below. And then there's the Red Windsor taste test where I then talk about how I would tweak this cheese and make it a lot better. The flavor was there. It was just the texture was rather crumbly and not what I expected. Uh, so a bit of an issue with the Red Windsor uh, that I made, but visually appealing, it looked fantastic. It tasted good, but the texture was off. So I can do better. Uh, however, the recipe stands for anybody who wants to go and try it and make sure that you watch the taste test as well. Don't just go and watch the how to make video. Uh, go and look at the taste test and look at the notes. So the extra information that I was uh, able to glean from uh, the texture of the cheese and how it tasted on how to make it better. So watch them both in conjunction with each other, Jim, and you should be good to go. Like I said, links in the show notes down below. And the next question is from... This is Nick Even and my apprentice, Tell Dietzler. We made mozzarella today. We had a bit of variation because of a significant mistake, and we'd appreciate an explanation. The apprentice added the rennet first before even heating. Out of desperation, we added the calcium chloride, the lipase, the citric acid, and started heating it. We heated and stirred incessantly for five minutes 
with a double boiler until it reached 32 degrees Celsius and then brought it to 40 degrees, kneading it desperately. No curd to cut or check for clean break. The cheese still, but we did strain it very well. The cheese still stretched. We put it in an ice bath, which wasn't all that icy, and then popped it into the fridge. It looked like cheese soup at one stage. Why did it still stretch and taste good? We're wondering what your answer is. Thanks so much, Gavin. Cheers. Bye. Well, Nick can tell that sounds like a bit of a bit of a disaster, but a uh, serendipitous discovery on your behalf. Now, the reason why it's still set, um, I don't, you must have made it like a, a soup or something. It, it wouldn't have set. You would have got the curds would have split into sorry, the milk would have split into curds and whey. Uh, because the rennet was still there and as you heated it up the rennet would have started to work by adding the lipase and the citric acid you uh, simply added the ingredients but obviously in the wrong order uh, i can imagine this happening uh, for somebody not reading the instructions properly and and it, look it happens uh, we all learn by our mistakes however the reason it worked was because the rennet was still present it still curded the, curdled the milk. It still split the milk into curds and whey's. And the curds were acidic enough. So mozzarella stretches, or the curds for mozzarella stretch, when the pH of the milk reaches 5.3 to 5.0. That's the range where the proteins break down enough that you can actually stretch the curds when they're hot. And that's what's happened. So you've drained it, strained it, you've still got your curds. They're acidified enough at this stage that when you add hot water to it or microwave it, depending on which method you used, then it still would have stretched and you would have still got mozzarella balls and all the ingredients were present for them to become tasty the next day. A lipase takes, you know, between 12 and 24 hours to start breaking down the fats and adding a little bit of flavour. And as long as the salt was still there, you'll still have a nice mozzarella. Not the best way to go about it. You would It probably would have been a bit grainy, that's for sure, because the curd didn't actually set properly. It just splits into curds and whey, similar to like uh, when you make an acid cheese with lemon juice. So the rennet didn't have enough time to do what it was supposed to do. Anyway, uh, that's what happened. I uh, hope that answered your question. Fabulous to hear from you. Thank you, Nick and Tell. And hopefully you've gone on to make bigger and better cheeses uh, in your very own kitchen. Well, that's about all the time we've got today for the show. Thank you very much for listening and watching. Uh, some of the videos that I've released recently, and you may have seen, I actually released a uh, mozzarella de latte de buffalo. So buffalo milk mozzarella. And I managed to get the milk at a uh, an Indian grocer we've got here in town. And uh, I was just gobsmacked. I walked in there, actually got a tip from one of my customers who came and picked up some orders locally from Little Green Workshops. And he said, did you know they have buffalo milk now locally? And I went, oh, really? So I just absolutely had to go grab some. Uh, mind you, it was $10.99 Australian per two litres. Uh, so it, absorbent price compared to cow's milk. However, the mozzarella just turned out 
amazing and Kim and I have been snacking on and Ben sorry have been snacking on the mozzarella for supper uh, over the last week so if you haven't checked it out yet go and check out the buffalo mozzarella video that I've got on the main channel yeah you won't be disappointed it's very good I actually put out a challenge to all of the curd nerds who are watching my live stream on Sunday uh, on the main channel uh, to see if we could get that video up to a million views by Christmas. I know buffalo mozzarella is a prop popular thing. Uh, it's well on its way. Uh, we're nearly up to 5,000 views in a few days. So fingers crossed. If you're listening or watching, pop over, go and have a look at it. Uh, if you enjoyed it, share it, like it, all that sort of stuff. Leave a comment. And I will leave a link to that video in the show notes as well. So you can go and click on it using your pod app, whatever pod app you're using, or if you're watching on YouTube. This podcast is brought to you and sponsored by Little Green Workshops. If you want to pick up any supplies, you can do so over at littlegreenworkshops.com.au. If you want to make cheese in a structured manner, I have several courses available at the Curd Nerd Academy. Find them at courses.littlegreenworkshops.com.au. You can also pick up my books at any ebook retailer. Well, thanks for listening and watching Curd Nerds, and stay tuned for the next exciting episode of the Little Dream Cheese podcast. During the podcast, you heard royalty-free music by Kevin McLeod. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you next time.